This week on The Magical Hacks, I turn to stone. Happens to the best of us. <laughs> <laughs> I was petrified. Oh, man. What? Uh, Should have gone with that. But were you afraid first? <laughs> Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Magical Hacks, the Magic the Gathering podcast recapping your magical week that was October the 8th through the 14th of 2017. I'm Tom Casper, and with me today, as always, I'm Ray. And I'm Steven. And what a magical week it was. We had Magic the Gathering Worlds 2017 happen. We found out that there is a brand new logo for Magic the Gathering. We also have some news about Explorers of Ixalan and a very interesting question of the week this week. So let's jump right into news. All right, first off, 2017 World Championships happened. William Huey Jensen of Peach Garden North coming out on top with Teamer Energy over Javier Dominguez on Ramanop Red, uh, Josh Utter-Layton and Kelvin Chu, both rounding out the top four. A uh, very red-heavy weekend, I'd say. Uh, wouldn't you, Steve? Oh, yeah. So compared to what we've seen out of at least uh, the Star City event last week, uh, compare the meta now to then. Uh, obviously, this is it's still week two. We haven't we barely dug into the set. Mm-hmm. These were very safe deck choices, but it, it looks like we're going to be sitting in this place at least until the Pro Tour when the pros finally start pulling out all the stops on this format. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of room to innovate in this meta. Uh, so to touch on the uh, world's meta, there were three decks. Uh, Ramanap Red was the most prominent out of the three, and then followed by teamer energy four color energy and variants of blue black control and the easiest thing to say about that meta is these guys are pros um they wanted to take kind of the the safe choice um so there, there wasn't a whole lot of risk-taking involved with this tournament. And the reason for that is because the tournament was such a small tournament that uh, mediocre records were worth more than uh, a record of, say, 2 and 10 or whatever. So uh, since there was such a big difference between... Uh, a medium record and a failing record essentially uh taking the safer choice and winning half of your games was better than risking it all to win the tournament whereas if you risk it all and miss you're out of luck you just you went oh and 10 and basically dropped out of the world's tournament Nobody was trying to play any breakout decks because they're not they're not trying to uh, sort of juke the lesser experienced players or anything like that. Uh, and being such a small tournament, there were only twenty four people invited to this tournament, uh, 
and all of these people are among the top in the world. So there's really no room to fool around. You either come prepared with a good uh, top-of-the-line solid choice deck that you tuned for the meta, or you pretty much fall flat on your face. Moving on from Magic Worlds 2017, we found out more information on Explorers of Ixalan, which is a standalone uh, out-of-the-box sort of game like we had with Arch Enemy during Hour of Devastation. Ray, would you like to talk more about Explorers of Ixalan, please? Uh, so we don't have deck lists yet, um, which is something I'm a little bit antsy for because I really want to know what's in it. But uh, in the broad sense, we know that there are four 60-card decks uh, that are ready to play. It's going to be a multiplayer format, so they're meant to be played against each other all at once. Uh, each corresponds to one of the major tribes of Ixalan. So there is a merfolk deck, a pirate's deck, a vampire's deck, and a dinosaur's deck. Uh, we know that there is a board game element to it, where there are actual uh, hexagonal tiles that will be laid out in a in a configuration on the board, and there are more tiles than are used in a game, so that there is a level of replayability. Uh, where you'll see different effects in different games, and you can pay mana uh, to flip over these tiles to explore their contents, and the tiles will have effects uh, that impact the game. And you, if you are the one who flips over the tile, my understanding is that you control the effect, uh, but there may be more to it than that. Other than that, all we know is uh, some of the reprints that have been spoiled, uh, some uh, sorely needed and some uh, just very exciting for commander players. Uh, we got Aggravated Assault, uh, which is a classic combo piece in red commander decks that lets you attack under the right conditions uh, ad infinitum. Uh, then there is Blatant Thievery, uh, which is just gain control of something from everybody else. Uh, it's very rude. Uh, and Quicksilver Amulet, which sort of um, sees play. It sees play outside of Commander as well in the more casual formats, but uh, that was one that had already started to creep up in price a little bit. Um, I think we started to see it start creeping up when Battle for or when Battle for Zendikar came out and the new Eldrazi were released. People went, "Oh yeah, Quicksilver Amulet's a thing," uh, and the price started to, to trend upwards a little bit. Uh, then we're also getting Time Warp. Uh, which we haven't seen in a few years and is uh, is a little pricier than I'd like for it to be. Uh, but the the marquee card so far, the marquee reprint, I should say, is uh, Threads of Disloyalty, which is a card that sees actual play in actual formats because uh, <laughs> uh, it ganks people's Tarmogoyfs for three mana. Uh, so that's a card that's been sorely needing a reprint, and here it is finally in the form of a, you know, a four-player box set. Uh, so that'll introduce some more copies into the market, which will be a relief, and it should be a lot of fun to play with because you'll be able to do uh, gank people's pirates, and and uh, I'm looking forward to ganking the cost reducers for the dinosaurs to slow the dinosaur tech down because uh, I have a I have a tremendous fear that if the dinosaurs get their cost reducers out and get out the gate, there's no coming back. 
Over the weekend during stream, we found out that Wizards of the Coast is rebranding Magic the Gathering with a brand new logo. It is the logo we've seen on the promotional materials for Magic the Gathering Arena. It's it's definitely different than where they've been in the past, and I'm wondering your opinion on it. So uh, my first thought, when I first saw it, was just, well, why? You can't change the card back, so we're going to still <laughs> have the old Magic logo everywhere when we play. Um, but... I thought about it a little bit, and it reminds me most of uh, that subtle change they made a while back where they changed the font for the card names and creature type lines, or type lines on the cards. Uh, they changed it from uh, M, M. Platten or something like that. It, it, it was a, a fine font, very readable. They changed it to a proprietary font that they developed themselves, and that gives them a, a more unique look. It's not something that can be as easily imitated uh, by competitors. And the, the Magic logo, the original Magic the Gathering logo, and it's been around for coming up on 25 years. And there's no real reason for it. Like, it, it looks fine, and it's what we're used to, uh, but the... I guess the thing is that I found a VHS at Goodwill some time ago. <laughs> uh, and I wasn't sure I wanted to go here, but here we are. Uh, this was a VHS for an old uh, Japanese anime called The Wanderers. And I bought it without having a working VHS player or any desire at all to watch The Wanderers. I bought it explicitly because the font for The Wanderers is the same font used for the Magic the Gathering logo on the card backs. And I've I've tried to look into this. I've I've done some googling and come up empty-handed as to whether The Wanderers uh based their logo off of the Magic logo. <laughs> <laughs> or if the Magic logo is made using a font that was more widely available in the 90s. Do I, we have... Well, I guess... When did The Wanderers first release? Like, is Oh, it, it's El Hazard The Wanderers. Uh, and it... So it's a spinoff of El Hazard, and it came out 1995. So it does post-date Magic. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's even the one that I have. Yeah, there's actually plenty of it. Uh... So I'll, I'll probably post some of these images on the Twitter or Facebook because plain as day, like it the literally w is the M flipped back. <laughs> the W <laughs> in Wanderers down. is just the M from the Magic logo upside down. <laughs> uh, and I mean, the A is exactly the A. The rest of the letters don't appear in the word magic. So either they're just somebody like spitball and trying to come up with something or there is some font associated with this so uh this this may be part of wizards uh wider desire to uh have more control in their own branding and the new logo actually does look very nice and i'm sure it'll look great on packaging on booster boxes on uh box sets commander decks that sort of thing 
So I don't see any harm in it. Like I said, the card backs are going to be the same. So I don't see this having any major effect on the enfranchised players. Maybe it's a little more visually exciting uh, to try and draw in new players. So maybe it'll have that effect. But as an established player, again, my first response was just why I, I didn't see. I don't see how this is going to affect my life in in any way unless it does actually bring in new players. And then I could see, yeah, you know, it's bringing in new players. That's going to affect my life in, in a very positive way. So. So the first time I saw the new logo, I thought to myself, wait, how is that any different? It still says magic, the gathering. (laughs) And then, uh, then I remembered that the, the card back has like, this weird old font on it that I never understood. But, like, it seemed to me like they had already been using this more modernized, like, look in... Especially, you see it in, like, the shirt printings for the Magic the Gathering judges at bigger events. And Mm. really, like... It, it doesn't really surprise me that they updated their logo to be, like, officially this more modern-looking uh, logo that incorporates the Planeswalker symbol. I don't know. It's It seems like a change that makes sense to me. And like we stated before, we, they're not changing the card backs. They can't. So, like, I don't know. It, it's just another one of those things that... I feel like they're trying to keep up with the times and it it just kind of seems natural to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, that that's understandable. I I'm of the opinion that like over the last yeah, over obviously over the last how many years they've slowly but surely been making subtle changes to the magic logo. Mhm. And yeah, I mean, it's not like they can change the back of the card. I mean, they're never going to be able to. If they could get rid of Deckmaster, I'm sure they could, because <laughs> don't print anything by them anymore, other than Magic. Right. But it 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 makes sense on a marketing level to go with something a lot more streamlined, a lot more flashy, and just like you said, it's it's a very modern looking logo compared to what is arguably a very late 80s, early 90s looking design, which was the original Magic logo. And the fact that they've stuck with what they've had for so long honestly surprises me. Mm-hmm. But it, it, I guess it's it's been a long time coming, and maybe this is their, their dividing, you know, old Magic with new Magic at the 20-year mark, and then they're moving forward. They're going to try and modernize the game as best they can and get rid of a lot of the old... A lot of the old chaff, like, for instance, what they're doing to simplify rules, to simplify (laughs) uh, stuff like the Planeswalker redirection rule, like the Planeswalker legend rule. They're they're trying to fix past mistakes and make the game as streamlined as possible for everyone involved. Right. So maybe this is... They're making it easier to follow the rules of the game without uh, losing advantage because you don't know the rules type of changes Mm -hmm. which definitely is a lot nicer to the new folks of the games but that's a whole different topic 
Are yeah. you a rules lawyer, Steve? Am I a rules lawyer? Uh, it depends what stakes are at hand. Okay. <laughs> Steve's about to be like, I'll let my rules bar exam speak for itself. <laughs> <laughs> the defense rests. <laughs> yeah. I need my lawyer. Sorry. Oh, wait, that's me. Uh, God, I saw, oh, my God. I saw this. A joke cracked me up more than it should have. Uh, it was just someone saying, uh, I'm not saying anything until and uh, without my lawyer present. And the police officer says, you are the lawyer. He goes, yeah, where the f*** is my present? <laughs> uh, cut that. I swore. That was, that was my joke. Uh, but this, the other thing that this logo provides is a convenient segue into a brief discussion on what we've seen of Arena over the past week. Uh, mm -hmm. Because we got to see a little bit more uh, demos. We got to see what Arena is capable of. We got to see an adorable little uh, raptor hatchling in the corner of the screen. Uh, <laughs> so it looks like uh, there's going to be uh, customizable card backs or at least mm -hmm. different themed card backs for different uh, stages. Because right now we're just seeing an Ixalan stage and there is... Uh, these interesting green and gold card backs. Uh, it looks like it can handle fairly complex board states. I mean, I'm looking at a screenshot that's got, uh, what is that, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, 14, 16, 18, 20, 24, 28, 30, 2, 4, 6. So 38 permanents on the board. Uh, some of them tapped, some not. Uh, oh, and also a Planeswalker, so 39 permanents. Uh, and the libraries appear to have a couple hundred cards because they are ridiculously tall. I don't know what's going on with that. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so it looks like it can handle just about anything that you can throw at it. Um, they made an interesting aesthetic choice on the Planeswalkers, uh, where all the... All the cards we discussed in a previous episode are truncated to just uh, name line, art, type line, and then power and toughness. And then you can hover over it to see the text. Uh, but the Planeswalkers uh, are still that uh, portrait format, where but they just get the entire art and then the loyalty counters at the bottom. Huh. Uh, they... Based on this Vraska that I'm seeing in the screenshot, uh, it doesn't even have the names on it. Like, they're just letting the art speak for itself. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. The, uh, the Jace I saw while they had a demo during the World Championship between uh, Paul Chion and Marshall Sutcliffe, yeah. Um, Marshall played a Jace, and basically, it's the portrait art of the Planeswalker over the Planeswalker symbol mm -hmm. with the loyalty counters on it. Okay. And then you scroll over, or you click on the Planeswalker and you choose what ability you want to use, and it'll pop up a little menu for you. <laughs> and the more and more I look at this, the more and more excited about it I am, because it's just, it's a very straightforward way to play the game. And there's, like, obviously more stuff that you can be doing. Like, apparently you can hold priority while you're doing stuff. You can do pretty much everything you can do on Mitgo. It's just a different sort of interface, and apparently it's a lot more smooth than Mitgo is. Like, it's really easy to get into how you're playing this, sort of like Hearthstone, like how how you get into the groove with it, you know? 
But. Mm-hmm. And it looks like uh, all the cards have the right art. <laughs> um, we want to talk about that picture that Jamar sent us this morning. <laughs> that was cracking me up. Like the one Elish Norn yeah. didn't even have art. All the bazaars had Elish Norn's art. Like, Prized Amalgam I mean, had the art of Force of Will. Yeah, and the Golgari Grave Trolls were all Bridge from Below art. So yep. Old and Bridge from returns. Below art. All the Dread Returns were Icarid art. So, like, I mean, honestly, it kind of worked. Right. I mean, it, like you said, close enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to, but I'm only activating Bazaar so I can dump uh, Elish Norn into my yard so I can use my Dread Return that I'm going to play by sacrificing my Icarid to get the Elish Norn out. <laughs> Right. Like, and I don't even really play the Golgari Grave Troll. I'm just using it to dredge cards into my yard, like, <laughs> like Bridge from Below. So it, it all shakes out. Yeah, Arena looks. I, I'm really, in, I'm really excited for Arena. Like, I, I think the one thing that I'm going to complain about most is the amount of tapping that tapped cards actually are. I mean, they gray them out, thankfully, mm-hmm. when you tap them. But, oh, yeah. And they They're... put the little tap symbol over them. But at the same time, like, I'm just, I'm so used to things actually turning sideways rather than being, yeah. you know, s- like, people who do that on paper when I play against them, I'm like, could could you maybe just scooch it a little bit more, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, like, maybe? it's like another 45 degrees, <laughs> please. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's tough to forgive considering how much crap I have historically given people who don't tap their cards properly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's, it does look like, some, like I would never allow you to play your cards and call it tap by just turning it 15 degrees. Like, no, your lands, yeah. <laughs> your lands don't have vigilance. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, I did see that there is an option to sort of switch over to the dual style of play, uh, where you just sort of let the computer tap your lands for you, and you can sort of uh, play magic while spacing out, um, which is a fun way to kill some time. So I'm actually excited mm-hmm. about that feature, and you can switch back at will. So if if you're playing against someone and it's all clean, you know, just having the good, some good fun, and then it starts to get serious, you can you have the option to be like, okay, actually, I do want to hold priority when I do stuff. <laughs> all right, so there was one really int- one really cool aspect to this that I thought was interesting. Uh, for for each card, if it has an ability attached to it, like for instance, an activated ability. In the bottom corner of that card, it'll have a little symbol there. For activated abilities, it's going to be uh, a little lightning bolt. For enter the battlefield abilities, it's uh, some other little symbol there. And <clears throat> for tap abilities, it has a little tap symbol there. Uh, oh, yeah, for I see that. A card, was it? Marshall was playing Waker of the Wilds, and he activated it at his end step, and he just clicked on the card, and it asked, what do you want X to be? And he just told it what he wanted X to be, and it auto tapped everything after he chose a target, and it, it was good. Like it just. Oh wow! It didn't even think about it. it like because it, he was tapping out fully, it just it's like, what do you want your target to be? What do you want X to be? And he clicked OK, and it automatically did it. And then he untapped, and it was it. Like it, they're streamlining so much that I'm just so excited because, I mean, Mitko's fine for what it is. It's just I'm really excited to get my hands on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really wish that I had had the opportunity to play in a pre-release so that I could have gotten on that 
uh, advanced beta list. But guess who's on advanced beta list? And even if I get it, I can't talk about it or stream it or do anything. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's okay. You, you can tell us in, in confidence. <laughs> I will admit the one can... thing, the one thing that really like bugs me about Magic Online is when like when you're playing against the conditional counter spells like uh, Mana Leak, for example. If you get Mana Leaked and you have Mana open, or even if you don't, it's annoying because it it still asks, "Would you like to pay three mana?" Uh, mm-hmm. But if you do have it open, you still have to like go through and tap your mana, which is fine. But when you have dual lands in play, you have to click them and then choose what color you're tapping it for and then move on with your life. Right. And like even if you're casting like say like I, I've recently been playing Infect again, shh, but uh like I fetch breeding pool turn one and I just want to play a noble hierarch. I still have to fetch the breeding pool. Yes. I want to pay two life click on the breeding pool, add green to my pool after clicking on the noble hierarch. Like I know I could hit M to just auto mana for me, but, but that only chooses that always chooses the first option available. So if you wanted to tap your breeding pool for blue, you still have to do the double clicking thing, which is, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a bit of a pain, and it looks like they've streamlined a lot of that in Arena. So, mm-hmm. hey, this looks great. I I can't wait to get my hands on it. So, me too. All right. Any other business to take care of? Ah, uh, or should I ask my lawyer? We have a question of the week. We do, and we have a response from last week's question of the week this week. Our question of the week last week was, what is your favorite deck that you have ever played of all time in all formats, including limited? And DTX Stardust says, my favorite deck of all time has to be the very first competitive deck I ever made for Standard back when I first got into competitive magic. It was back in Lorawin, and I made a mono-white Kithkin Soldier aggro deck with all the juicy Kithkin Soldiers, token generators, and Thought Weft Trio. I had so much fun building and playing that deck against all other Lorawin tribes. Ray, I didn't play in Lorawin. Can you explain Thought Weft Trio? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, thing, that, was, <laughs> that was ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> so, Thought Weft Trio was a 5 5 with first strike and vigilance that can block any number of creatures for four mana. Uh, that okay. seems pretty good. <laughs> yeah, uh, the the balancing factor was the ability champion a kithkin, uh, which is when it enters the battlefield, you have to sacrifice it unless you exile a kithkin you control. But then, if the thought left trio dies, the kithkin comes back. Uh, and you could do this with uh, trying. Well, there there was a kithkin deck that was. That was very popular. Uh, Burnt and Forge Tender was a Kithkin. Um, Springjack Knight was a 2-2 with First Strike and Life Link for white-white. Um, Kithkin was was the straight-up white weenie tribe. Uh, so it was everything you would expect from a white weenie deck uh, with additional tribal synergy that you don't normally see. And... Yeah, having a 5-5 five, five with, first, with First Strike Vigilance and the ability to block any number of creatures for 4 mana... Was was really really good. 
It, it maybe wasn't fairies good because there was no Kithkin bitter blossom. Uh, I mean, there was close with, uh, can't remember the name of it right now, but there was an enchantment that made Kithkin tokens. You just had to pay mana for it. Uh, so not as good as bitter blossom, mm -hmm. but yeah, the Kithkin deck was, uh, it was not probably the tier one deck at the time. Uh, at least not for most of that standard, again, because of fairies. But it was a force to be reckoned with. And I believe it absolutely destroyed. <laughs> All right. So, Ray, would you like to go into our question of the week this week? Uh, yes. Uh, I'm actually adapting this question of the week from Jamie Keller on Twitter, at Jamie7Keller. For this season, their, their handle has been changed from Mardu Jamie to Jamie But Dead. Uh, and they posted a question that was a, a riff on the um, sort of recent meme that's been flowing around that's been like, oh, name five five movies someone should watch before they date you or something along those lines. And Jamie's riff was five magic cards you'd tell someone to check out to get a feel for who you are. Uh, and this can be anything from a card that you feel you know, represents you uh, as a person or a card that you've really enjoyed playing or a card you just like the art on or just the design of. But so our question of the week is five magic cards you'd tell someone to check out to get a feel for who you are, which in retrospect was not in the form of questions, so I would lose Jeopardy, but you know what I'm trying to say. Uh, Steve, you want to go first on this one? Uh, no, I actually want to go last. Okay, though, I will go first then, since Ray asked the question. Uh, I will start out with my number one is Pack Rat. Uh, of course, it's going to be Pack Rat. Mm -hmm. uh, Pack Rat is just, it's a really fun card. It does a lot of really fun stuff. It basically is my wheelhouse as a Magic player. Uh, it's, it's this little thing that can get out of control if you just give it enough time and don't pay attention to it. And that's sort of the kind of thing I like to play. Like in Commander, especially, I like to build decks that seem really innocuous, that just get out of hand really, really fast. And Packrat distilled that into one card, not to mention it is the key card in one of my favorite decks, if not my favorite deck of all time, which was Mono Black Devotion. Uh, my number two card is Deathmark, because green and white are my least favorite colors and they can go straight to hell. Uh, number three is Blood Moon, because I don't want other people to have fun while I'm playing Magic. Uh, number four is Tezzeret, Agent of Bolas, because uh, as, as a player, he does pretty much everything I want him to. Like, I like looking through my deck. I like playing with artifacts. I like having alternate win conditions. I like being able to have different ways to attack my opponent's strategy, uh, both figuratively and literally. Uh, so that's that's sort of where that's at. And number five, the best card of all time, the only card that ever matters in a game of Magic, Mountain. Okay. Yeah, I like it. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Plot twist. I, I just Got I always there. feel at home when I'm playing a deck that has Mountain in it. So yeah. it's my blanket. It's my security <laughs> blanket is Mountain. So... Uh, Ray, how about you? Uh, so mine are in no particular order, and you could probably swap some stuff out. Um, but first on my list is Shrouded Lore uh, from Plane Shift. No, sorry, from Plane Shift. No, 
from Planar Chaos. There we go. <laughs> plane shift, plane chase, planar chaos. Got it. Uh, it is the color shifted version of Forgotten Lore, which was a green card out of, I believe, Legends or the Dark, one of the early sets. Um, but Shrouded Lore is black, and it's uh, it's a card that plays out differently every time you play it. Uh, and if you're playing it in a uh, mono black commander deck that has access to cabal coffers it's kind of silly it's a single black mana uh, you choose a card in your graveyard uh, or no sorry an opponent chooses a card in your graveyard uh, you may pay a black to make them choose a different one uh, and you can keep doing that until you're either out of black mana or they chose one that you want and then that card goes back to your hand uh, and it's just, it's so satisfying to have oodles of black mana, uh, and put my opponent in that position where be like, Hey, what do you want me to get back from my yard? Uh, no, not that. No, not that. No, not that. You know, <laughs> uh, but it does play out differently every time. And so I think it's a tremendously fun card. And, uh, I think black is a much better color for it than green, uh, because of that game that you get to play with your opponent. Uh, second, I listed Rith the Awakener. Uh, it's probably the first card that I learned to uh, go big with, uh, you know, or or how to go big, how to stop worrying and, and love the fatty. Uh, <laughs> and just, uh, well, that could be taken out of context, but I stand by it. I stand by it. Um, and Rith the Awakener opened my eyes to a few things. The idea of scaling value. Where, yeah, the first time you activate it, it's, it's okay. The second time you activate it, it's better. And so on from there. Plus, it was a highlight of uh, a Pro Tour in, when it was in Standard. Uh, there was a, a deciding game. I, I want to say that uh, John Finkel was involved. My memory may be fuzzy on that. Uh, but somebody put an Armadillo Cloak on a with, with the Awakener and attacked with an 8-8 Flying Trample lifelink, uh, and then paid three and made a bunch of sapperlings. Uh, and that that was game, basically. Uh, my third card is Sunforger. Uh, it's another one that's very fun in, in Commander, uh, often plays out very differently because it's, it's an equipment that lets you search for a red or white instant card with converted mana costs, four or less. And there's so many different things you can do with it in so many different decks, just the fact that, I mean, you can play it in a uh, Jeskai deck and search out double negative to, to end a counter war. Uh, no one ever sees that coming off of Sunforger. And I do it every time and they still don't see it coming. <laughs> Number four is Edge of Divinity. Two of my favorite cards when I first started playing were Holy Strength and Unholy Strength. Uh, and I think that that rings true for a lot of players who started playing uh, at or previous to Magic 2010. They're exemplary cards for their colors, and Edge of Divinity is both in one card, uh, and to me is one of the like quintessential hybrid cards. Uh, and then number five is Vizardrix. I, <laughs> I started playing with the 6th edition starter decks, uh, and Vizardrix was the biggest creature in the box. Uh, I think it, well, it tied with Trained Org, who was also a 6-6 for a 6 and a red. Um, it is by no means a good card, but 
it holds a special place in my heart, and it's the only blue card on my list. So <laughs> take from that what you will. All right, Steve, you're up. All right. Um, so I'm going to do this in top-down order, which means I'm starting with number one and then going to go to five. So number one on my list is Siege Rhino. It uh, It's big. It enters the battlefield, <laughs> it drains three life, and then it beats your face. Um, it sure does. Yeah, yeah sorry, I, I've been trying to forget what Siege <laughs> Rhino did, thank you. <laughs> oh, uh, should I should I nope. say that again? Nope. You've, you've I can look it up this time, make sure I get the, the correct wording. Um, <laughs> really, the second Siege Rhino, Steve? Oh, yeah. Um, really? <laughs> always. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that Siege Rhino has won me many Friday Night Magics and uh, definitely paid for itself multiple times over. Uh, next up on my list is Liliana of the Veil because she's fun to play in modern. Uh, enough said, I think. That brings us to number three is Lightning Bolt. Uh, it targets your face. Especially late in the game, it targets your face, deals three damage. It's pretty good. Then, moving on to number four is Snapcaster Mage. It enters the battlefield and gives something flashback. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, so Snapcaster Mage is really fun and exciting to play with. Then, uh, number five is, again, Lightning Bolt. Uh, targeting your face, probably from the graveyard this time. Damn it, Steve. <laughs> you really, you really then, used your number five slot to flashback <laughs> to your number three slot? Yes. Um, and then I appreciate the, the dedication. The, <laughs> the, uh, the runner-up number six slot is... Uh, that one goes to Tarmogoyf. Uh, to pair with my Liliana of the Veil and Siege Rhino. Nice. <laughs> I want to I want to draw attention. If Steve, you may have, you may have missed this, but this was not like the late show's top top ten best cards in modern. This was... no no definitely not. <laughs> These are just some of my favorite things. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I guess it's it's fair to say that there's some overlap there. <laughs> between things Steve likes and things that are good in modern. Uh, yes. Fair enough. <laughs> so we would like to know your answer to the question of the week this week, which again was, what five magic cards would you use to describe you? Uh, you can answer by emailing us at themagicalhacks at gmail.com or by replying to the post on our Twitter or on our Facebook page, both of which at themagicalhacks. You can find us wherever fine podcasts are downloaded on Twitter and on Facebook at The Magical Hacks. And you can find me on Twitter at TC Ghosty. You can find Ray on Twitter at Suboptimal Plays. And you can find Steven at SJHanley987 on Twitter and on Facebook. Join us next week. Uh, we'll be talking more about, well, the ban list is happening next week. So we've got that coming up. Oh, man. I yeah. forgot about uh, that. Yeah, now that they've changed it around, it's kind of weird the, the way right. it's coming in. Oh, we didn't talk about that this week. The uh, the 1v1 commander ban list that 
for some reason, I don't think anybody cares about it. So that, that no. would explain why we didn't talk about uh, it. It's... But they finally banned Brawl and Emrakul, so... Oh, sweet. Yeah. And, and like, all the tutors. Yeah, so it's actually... <laughs> like, there are some people mad that they lost Brawl, but by and large, it's it's been so... The responses I've seen have been so resoundingly positive. <laughs> it's right. like, oh, thank God, the tutors are gone from 1v1 Commander. Now we can play Commander games, because there will actually be some variety. <laughs> Alright, and that does it for this week. We will see you guys next time. Thanks for listening. Peace. <laughs>